0: Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want a live stream of service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Excited for church! <laughs> We have not met, my name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this crazy place called Bull Church six years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come grow in their faith. Listen, we are in day seven of 21 days of prayer and fasting and I'm already over it. Let me tell you, I'm sick of fruits and vegetables. I can't wait to get to heaven and punch Daniel in the face. and be like, bro, why couldn't it have been steak and praying? Come on. But before we begin, let me just give you two quick announcements. It's super important. Anyone love this merch that I'm wearing? Wow. My beautiful wife, she's amazing. She designed these. But if you want to buy them, first dibs at Team Night on Wednesday, January 17th. If you want to come, if you are part of our church, our tribe, our dream team, That teamwork makes a dream work. Everything you see in this church, listen, is not built on the talent of a few but the sacrifice of many. Everything you see is done, not by my wife and I, but by an army of amen people who want to help build the house of God. And once a quarter, we get together and we just fill you up with vision, fill you up with leadership. We pray, we worship, we eat. You don't want to miss this night. And it's it's primarily not for a Sunday service. It's for the dream team. So if you want to come, it's also an opportunity to buy fresh merch because we're selling them next Sunday. And who knows? They may be sold out on Wednesday. That's your problem, not mine. I got mine. I'm, I'm good. The next announcement before we begin is next Saturday. We have this thing where we're going to build this house. We want to clean up this place because this is the ugliest building in San Jose. There's some old timers that love this building more than Jesus. I just got to be careful they don't throw something at me. And so we're bringing a dumpster. Yeah, Joe, I can hear you, bro. I can hear you. We're going to clear all the landscaping. If you notice, anybody love the black doors? Woo! looks fresh forgive us we don't have handles on the 30 doors we have in this building right now but as soon as we're done cleaning up all the outside cleaning it up they're going to begin painting and the prayers and the hope is if you paint it they will they will come because we're not painting this building we're not beautifying it for us you guys came even when it was ugly we're doing it for our neighbors we're doing our siblings those that think God is irrelevant maybe if they see a building that looks fresh maybe maybe God is fresh And so we are in a collection of talks called Pray First. Someone say, Pray First. And we bought these journals. We sold 65 of these last week. There are still 30 more available. I want to invite you, day seven, to jump in on this. Because we are, as a church, collectively saying, we no longer want to pray reactively. When an emergency comes, when cancer comes, when the divorce is there, we don't want life to push us to our knees. We want to pray. We want to be a community when we pray, even when we don't have to. Amen? And some of you, you're exploring Christianity. You're new to church. Let me invite you to join in on this, even if you're intimidated by that. Pastor Allie, that just sounds crazy. I'm not even sure God's real. Listen, don't listen to me. Listen to him. Pray. He will reveal himself to you. He'll do a better job than I can. God never calls me to be his defense attorney. He says, be a witness. Let me tell you who Jesus is so he can tell you himself who he is. Amen? And there are too many Christians that know God in theory but not in practice. You could be a son and daughter and, and never learn how to communicate. My wife and I, we, she is such a better parent than I am. We'll, 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 our kids will come up to us like, Dad, I really want this. And I'm like, yes, you can have ice cream after dinner. It's seven o'clock in the morning right now. You need to eat breakfast. You need to brush your teeth, girl. Come on. And she'll lose her mind. She'll fall on the ground. You don't love me. Roll around like I murdered her, like pet animal or something. And the worst is when we're in like Whole Foods and everyone's judging me, looking at me like you're a terrible parent. Like I can't wait till you have kids. (laughs) Right? And there are so many kids in the house of God that that's you. You're overwhelmed with anxiety. You're overwhelmed with fear and insecurities, and you're never communicating. My wife, you know what I say to my kids? Stop crying before we go home and I kill you, okay? Right? But God, what my wife says to them is use your words. What are you feeling? Why are you crying? And she's trying to pull out of them the emotions that are in. And if I could just prophetically declare, God is saying to some of you, what are you feeling? Why are you overwhelmed? Why are you afraid? What is, is, is causing you to be insecure, to be afraid? Because so many kids, they know God in theory, but not in practice. And the benefits of God are never in theory. They only benefit you in practice. Amen? So I want to give you this phrase. I'm so excited to share with you. If you have a Bible, open it up. It comes from the Word of God. There's an apostle by the name of Paul. And maybe if you don't know what an apostle is, apostle is a church planner. He's a church starter. you got to understand, there are 27 books in the New Testament. The first four books are what are called the Gospels. These are eyewitness accounts of the, of the life, death, and burial of Jesus. Then the fifth book of the Bible is the book of Acts. It's like a historical book. The next 22 books are what are called epistles. If you're new to church, that may sound like the wife of an apostle, but it's not. So, lame pastor joke, two of you left. Thank you, God. God bless you. But an epistle is a letter written by an apostle to a church. 22 of the 27 books of the New Testament are letters from an apostle to a church. He's encouraging them in the faith. And the apostle Paul uses the same phrase three times. Listen, whenever Jesus taught, when he wanted to get your attention, he would say, truly, I tell you, truly, truly. Because in that Jewish culture, to repeat a word twice meant, bro, lean in. I'm about to say something really important. When the greatest apostle in the world says something three times, listen, we better lean in. You ready to lean in, church? Watch this phrase. He says it three times. We're going to open it up today. This begins in 1 Thessalonians 5 16. It says, Rejoice always, pray at all times. Someone say, at all times. At all times. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, pray in the Spirit at all times. Someone say, at all times. At all times. Can we say it one more time? Some of you haven't had your coffee yet. At all times. Someone say, at all times. At all times. Pray with all kinds of prayer and ask for everything you need. To do this, you must always be ready. Never give up. Always pray for all of God's people. Colossians 4, give yourselves to prayer at all times. Someone say at all times. times. Being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I want to preach to you a sermon for the next 25 minutes and 32 seconds around this subject. Praying at all times. Praying at all times. Can you bow your heads? Let me just pray before we talk about prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that your word is alive and active and sharper than any double edged sword. God, we, we want to give you the first 21 days of the year, God, with prayer and fasting because we believe, God, if we give you the best, the rest is blessed. God, we don't want to just come to church and study you and, and hear about you. We want to experience you ourselves. We, we can't live off the faith of our grandparents or our parents or even our spouse, God. We need an encounter with you, we need to hear your voice. God, I just pray for the next 21 days that every person who comes to this church would hear the voice of God. Because prayer is not just us talking to you, God. It's also you talking to us. And speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We may have walked in one way, Lord, but we want to walk out another. And if you believe that, everybody said? Yeah. Come on, everybody said? give yeah. Jesus a round of applause real quick? Yeah. Remember the first time I read this verse, praying at all times? I'm like, bro, how is that possible? Do you not have a life? Do you, do you not play Pokemon? Do you not have hobbies? Like, bro, how are you going to do this? Especially when, when I was in Bible college, they would teach you how to interpret the Bible. The very first way, the, the primary way you interpret the Scriptures is li- the, through the, the literal translation. That what the Bible says, it says. And sometimes you have to, allegorically uh, interpret something, metaphorically interpret something, uh, maybe prophetically, but the primary way is literal. So Paul's saying, I got to pray at all times? Bro, have you ever watched the movie Office Space and Milton? He's always mumbling under his breath. I got to be a spiritual Milton. Is that what you want me to be, God? Come on. Have you ever seen those crazy people on the buses? They're just mumbling to themselves. You don't know if they're on drugs or they're talking to someone, imaginary friend. I got to be that person for Jesus. Is that who Jesus wants me to be? Like a crazy spiritual person? I, I love God, but listen. I like TV. Anybody like TV? Some of you like it so much you don't have to sit in the living room. You have it in your bedroom. Come on. I'm not calling anybody out, but are we not allowed to watch ESPN anymore? Are we, just, we gotta pray at all times. Like I love my wife, and he's beautiful, but so is my wife. Come on. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Hey, he's amazing. He's great, but she's a better kisser. Are we not? Are we not supposed to? kiss and hang out and go on date night we're supposed to pray at all times Is that what Jesus wants me to do I I go to the gym notice I didn't say I like it am I not supposed to do that anymore am I supposed to work out and do squats to the glory of God come on I, I can't do squats and listen to worship music maybe you can I can't how am I supposed to do all these things what about work I, I got meetings where I have to like all day around people. Am I supposed to go, guys? Time out to use the restroom and just pray as much as I can at work? No, no. no. Our time is allotted. How in the world are we going to pray at all times? Well, to understand what Paul is saying, we gotta understand what he's not saying. We gotta understand the alternative. How do we pray at certain times and then we'll build on that? Amen. The first thing I want to teach you is this. There are certain times where we should pray, and the first time is when we need him. I'd write that down because that's a good idea to realize. There are times when you are in need. There's an emergency. you got cancer. Your mom's in the hospital. your, Your wife lost her job. And listen, it's never a bad time to pray. It's always a good time to pray. In fact, I would say when you pray, when you have need is a perfect time. The problem, though, is you don't realize how much you need him. You don't pray when you need them. You pray when you're in a crisis. You don't pray, God, for the next step. You pray, God, I'm about to take this big step. Help me with that. Do I date this girl or that girl? Do I take this job or that job? God, I want. do I quit my job and go start the business? God, there's this boy who's been DMing me. He's hot, but so is hell. What do I do, Lord. And there are times when we pray, God, for the big step. Remember when you were in elementary school and you didn't even really believe God? And the right before the test, you're like, Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit. And when it was a scantron, you just put C for Christ, hoping Holy Spirit, help me. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Some of you pray only when there's an emergency and your prayer life is awesome when the crisis is there. But what happens when the crisis is gone? Your prayer life goes away. See, if prayer is like breathing out like this, don't just pray to survive. Pray to live. Pray to live. So in the next slide, by the way. The other way that we want to pray is not just when we need him, is this, when we go to church. And I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I love church. the so Next slide, by the way. So when we go to church. I, I love church. I work at church. So I, some of you, know, though, the, the issue is not when you pray church. This is the only time you pray. The last time you raised your hands, the last time you called out to God, the last time you were in the presence of God was last Sunday. I'm not saying that to condemn anyone. That's more of an invitation than condemnation. Do you know you don't have to wait a week? You don't even have to wait until next Sunday to be in the presence of God. You can do it in your bedroom. You can do it in your car. You can do it in the shower, dare I say in the bathroom. You can do it anywhere, anywhere you go, God can go. Because God's not long, no longer residing in a building. He resided in people. And he wants to go where you go. As a theologian, where I move, you move, just like that. God's saying that to you. Yeah. Anywhere you go, God wants to go. Yeah. And so often we, we forget that, that man, I, maybe this is, this is more than just a religion. Maybe this is a relationship. And maybe when I walk in the car and my wife and I are fighting, I don't have to wait till next Sunday to be filled with the joy that God gave me in that room. I can do it in the car, in the chaos with my kids, And so many times we we don't realize we have a a religion, not a relationship. And there's so much more. Watch what it says in Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, at that moment, the curtain, someone say the curtain, curtain. of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. If man ripped it, it would be from bottom to top. But because God ripped it, it's from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. Just leave that verse, production team, back for a second. I'm going to talk about this verse for the next five minutes because you need to understand there is nothing wrong with praying in church. That's a good thing, but I want to encourage you to pray more than just when you come in this room for the next hour, every Sunday once a week. You need to understand, in the Old Testament, the only way that you could come to the presence of God is no matter where you lived, you had to go to Jerusalem. So you lived in, like, Hawaii. Let's say you lived in Florida or Texas or California. You had to leave home and then go to the only church in all of Jerusalem, which was the temple. And God's presence wasn't in a room like this. Only the high priest could go into the presence of God. See, the court of God, the temple of God, the church of God, there was one. It had three rooms. There was an outer court. And anyone can go in that room as long as you wash your hands and you cleanse your sin. You can walk into the outer courts. But then the inner courts, only the priest could go into then there's what's called the Holy of Holies, and there's literally a box called the Ark of the Covenant, probably double the size of this box right here, that, that literally housed the manifest presence of God. And once a year, the, the high priest for Israel would walk in the room, and he'd confess his sin, because it's hard to walk. You can't walk in the presence of God and be killed. If you, don't, if you have unconfessed sin, if there's, there's anger and unforgiveness in your heart, boom. Why? Because God's holy, and you and I are not. God's pure, and, and, and you and I are not. God it has no sin, and you and I are sin. The, in the same way that oil doesn't mix with water, holiness doesn't, doesn't mix with the sinfulness of man. So the high priest would walk into the temple. You know what he'd do? They'd have to tie a rope around his ankle. Because in case he died, you couldn't go in and get him, because you would die. You'd just pull that dude back. Crazy, and the and what God did is He said, "Look, I'm going to put a curtain between you and me because there has to be separation. That you cannot come into the presence of a holy God." So God, for centuries, for hundreds and thousands of years, people would worship God from behind the curtain. And God didn't always want this. He 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 wanted a different way. So what did He do? He sent His Son Jesus. Anybody thankful for Jesus? Maybe some of you are new to Christianity. You're exploring. What is this all about? God left heaven as the man Jesus. He entered human history. Jesus is not a prophet. He's not a good teacher. He's not a rabbi. He's God in the flesh. What did he do? He came to die as a substitute for our sin. The Bible calls this penal substitutionary atonement. That means he died in my place for my, even though he did no wrong, he died for my wrong. Even though he did nothing bad, he died for my bad. Even though he was perfect, he died as a substitute for my imperfection. That's only half of it. There's more. He gives me his righteousness. Let me break this down. You take a test, and every time you take the test, you fail. Jesus took the test, got 100%, and then crossed out his name, and then put your name on it. That's called imputed righteousness. That means when you stand in the presence of God, even though you're a Lakers fan, God forbid, a Cowboys fan, and you should not be allowed in the presence of God, because of Jesus, you're allowed to come in the presence of God. And anybody, no matter who you are, you're allowed in the presence of God because of Jesus. Anybody thank Him for Jesus? And the moment Jesus died and paid for our sin, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And it was as if God's saying, I no longer want to be in a building or in a box. I want to be in your heart. So good, right? It's amazing. And yet at the same time, let me just call myself out. For the first five years of our church, we were portable. We had two 25-foot trailers, like a bunch of homeless nomads. We would go from building to building. We had 13 locations in the first six years of our church. And like a madman, I went to 94 buildings looking for a home, begging God, crying out to God, God, give us a building. And there was a season where right as God gave it to me, God said, listen, as much as you want to get in, listen, for 2,000 years, I've been trying to get out. Because you don't need to come to church to experience God. I love the presence of God. There is something that you can experience at home, but there is something special when you come to church. Amen? This is Psalm 22, verse 3. It says, but thou art holy. Thou, oh, thou inhabit the praises of Israel. What's he saying? God inhabits the praises of his people. That when you and I as a church come together, because church ain't a building. It's people. And when we come together, there is something special that happens. God's presence shows up. Not that it doesn't show up in the prayer closet by itself, but there is something special when we come together. I remember my daughter, she was seven years old. She came to worship night this last Wednesday. We come home Friday night, we're hanging out. She goes, Dad, Mom, I felt something on Wednesday. She said, I, started, I almost cried, Dad. I said, why? She's like, I felt the presence of God for the first time. Why? My wife and I are like beaming because God is not a person you study. He's a person you experience. But let me encourage all of you that the last time you prayed God was on Sunday. I wrote it like this. The altar of God isn't a building. It's your heart now. Anywhere you go, he can go. Anywhere you move, he can move. He wants to meet you where you're at. And some of you, the only time you pray is at church. I want to tell you there's more than just that. The only time you pray is when you're in need. There's more than just that. Some of you come to church looking for a breakthrough over your addiction, over your marriage. I wrote it like this. We come to church for a breakthrough, but God's trying to come through and break through in your life, in your marriage, in your work, in your family, in your business, in your addictions, in your hobbies. He wants to break. You don't just need to experience God here. Anywhere you go, God wants to come. Amen? So thankful for Jesus. But there's a third time when we most often pray, and it's this. We, we pray when we need him. We pray when we're at church. And number three, we pray when we schedule it. We schedule. There's nothing wrong with scheduling. It's actually a sign of maturity that, that when you value something, when you, when you think it's important, you schedule it. It's called intentionality. You schedule doctor's appointments. You schedule birthday parties and vacations and, and meetings. So why, if God is not important, would you not schedule him? It's actually a sign of maturity that instead of licking your fingers like, what time should I pray? You're like, no, no, I'm going to give God my best. When I wake up in the middle of the night, some of you are are, are morning people, some of you are night people. So what do you do? You schedule God in your calendar because he's important to you. There's nothing wrong. We got this from the book of Daniel. Daniel would pray three times a day. Did you know the early church would pray three times a day because they modeled their life and faith after Daniel in the Bible? There's nothing wrong with praying whenever you schedule. I do this. I I wake up for every morning between 5.30 and 6 a.m., and I got to pray just to start the day. That was a MC Hammer quote that no one understood. <laughs> you got to pray just to make it today, right? And I have on my calendar every Wednesday at 9 o'clock, every Thursday at 12. The problem is not scheduling. Sometimes it's a good thing to schedule it, but the good thing can become a bad thing. Why? When it becomes routine. When it's just another thing that you do on the checklist. Have you ever, you ever, you ever hear the difference between when you first dated your wife versus like three years into your marriage? That when you're first dating your wife, ladies, you shave your legs. You get the paintball gun. Da, 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 da. You glue on the eyelashes. Come on. Maybe you put the weave in. I'm coming for you. You do all these crazy things. Why? Because you wanna you wanna bring your best. And fellas, you shower. You change your underwear. You go all out because this is special. And then you're married, and you know what you do? You're on your phone the whole time. You're there, but you're not mentally there. And some of you, that's, that's where you're at with a relationship with God. You're just praying, but you're thinking about everything else. It's that time you're supposed to do the devotional, but you're thinking about work. You're there reading the Bible, but you're thinking about your finances. And you're not treating it. It's just another thing on the checklist. And no one gets excited about their checklist. Brush your teeth. Do your laundry. Mow the lawn. Boring. Right? The hardest box to check out of, I wrote like this, is the checkbox. Because you'll read your Bible, and you're like, I'm done. You pray, I'm done. And God's not a person that you just do. He's a person to know. He's a person you know. And so often, these are the only times we pray. When we're in need, there's a crisis. When we come to church or when we schedule. It. And then imagine the only time you spoke to your wife was, was on date night. Friday from 6 to 8 p.m., and often that's what we do with God. We go to the God in the morning at 8 o'clock. We pray for five minutes, and then we ignore him the rest of the day. You would never do that to your spouse, but often we do that with God. But there's another way. There's a way that we can pray at all times. Someone say at all times. And it's this next slide. You could pray at all times. And theologians say this is actually theologically possible. They, say, they define this as this acronym, RPF, and it stands for Resting Prayer Face. No one, like three of you understood what that meant. If you don't understand what that means, ask someone younger who's sitting next to you what that means. But prayer can become automatic where you don't even think about it. Do you think, do you schedule when you breathe? No, you don't do, you, you pray automatically. Prayer can be automatic that it just becomes the, you don't even think about it, just part of your lifestyle. And the, the, the key, I wrote it like this, what prayer is to your soul, what breathing is to your body. I didn't think this was possible to pray at all times until I met my pastor. I was a youth pastor about 10 or 15 years ago, and he was the senior pastor of the church. And uh, any youth pastor, the, the thing you love the most is spend time with your senior pastor. Just learn how to be like him because I saw myself going that direction and one time we were driving from San Jose to Santa, Santa Cruz. Imagine we have an hour in the car and uh, we're just talking. And there's always that point on a long trip where the conversation kind of just dies down and there's nothing to say. And we we're in that moment and he goes, Hey, let's pray. Let's, let's redeem the time. I'm like, Cool. What do you want to pray about? He's like, no, 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 you pray. I was like, Okay. So I started praying. And as soon as I began to pray, he starts mumbling some under his breath. Yes, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I look at him. And I, I came from a culture of honor you don't call out your pastor you honor him so I look at him like smiling kind of annoyed like hey do you want me to pray or do you want to pray and he looks at me like why'd you stop praying and then I start praying again and as soon as I start praying again he starts praying again and I just pause and say pastor come I love you can you help me understand what's going on he goes what I go every time I pray you're praying he goes no I'm not I go yes you are I'm talking, I'm praying, and you're, you're like interrupting me. He didn't even know that he was praying while I'm praying because it is possible to, to make it automatic. And then before I give you the how, let me give you the why this is so important. You need to learn to pray at all times, number one, because of this. praying at all times because we forget. You will forget the goodness and the faithfulness and the blessing of God. Often in the Old Testament, God would insist instruct the Israelites to create a memorial, to set up a, 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 an offering, an altar for God, because I rescued you, I saved you, I delivered you, and you're going to forget. And I know I, I know this because about you because I created you. You are forgetful. Create an altar, so when you walk away, come back a week later, you're like, oh, my gosh, he did save me. Do you know Jesus did this? He, he had us create something so we remember. You know what it's called? It's called communion. Because we forget what Jesus did on a cross for us, so we has to take communion all the time, so we remember that he died on a cross for our sins, that he shed his blood to pay for us, and we're doing it next week. Come. We're having three baptisms and communion. It's going to be powerful to remember what Jesus did for us. And I remember reading the Old Testament, I'm like, man, these Israelites, they're ratchet. It's so easy to judge them, so easy to look at them like, oh, my gosh, I would never. Cringe. You guys are so sus. Remember reading about the Israelites? For 400 years, they were in Israel. For 350, they were slaves. Imagine a million mouths to feed in the middle of the desert. There's no Whole Foods. You can't DoorDash food out there. How are you gonna feed them? God literally fed his people manna from heaven. These are the same people that were slaves. You know what the Israelites did? The Bible doesn't tell us what they did, but the primary job of the men was to build bricks. Imagine every day, for four or five generations, all you did was make bricks for another man. What are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to build bricks. Where are you going to go to school? Brick school. No 401K, no retirement, nothing. No vacations. All you did was build bricks. And then God rescued them, delivered them saved them. Through 10 plagues, he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. On the 10th one, he killed the firstborn and everyone in Egypt, except for those who by faith put the blood of an animal over the doorposts over their house, and the the angel of death passed over. And if Jesus is over you, death will pass over you. Amen? Then they're in the wilderness, and God literally has to feed his people. What did he feed them? He door-dashed manna from heaven. Bread would literally come down. But imagine, let me just Call out God for a moment. If you eat the same meal every morning, that's one thing. Imagine eating the same meal breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 40 years. That'd be hard. That'd be really hard. And sometimes we look at Israel and we judge them like, bro, he saved you. Get over yourself until you're in the same situation, until you judge God the way that Israel did. And sometimes there are things we should forget. We should forget the, the darkness we came out of, the sin that we used to be a part of. Don't let the enemy remind you who you are. You, you are not your mistake. You are who God says you are. That's why in Romans chapter 8 says, therefore there is no condemnation. Stop talking about what you did. You, who you are in Christ is determined by God, not your sins in past. So let's forget the shame and the shackles. Let's remember the God's goodness and faithfulness, amen? But then there are times where you pray for something, God answers it. And like Israel you judge God. So instead of calling you out, I'm going to call myself out. Before my wife and I started this church, we were very affluent. And I don't say that to brag. I just say that to be honest. I used to be a software engineer, easily, easily making 15, 20 grand a month. My wife was a wedding photographer, professional She would make five grand a wedding. She would do two weddings a month. And then the moment we became pastors, we gave it all up as a sacrifice because we wanted to bless this city. We wanted to change. There's nothing more important to us than God. And now we're living off manna. (laughs) And it's, I don't say this to shame or complain, but it's paycheck to paycheck, and it has been for six years, and I love it. But it gets tiring. It gets hard, especially as as a man, you can understand this when your wife goes, Man, I, I would love if we can get this, and you know you can't afford it. Or when your kids say, Dad, all my friends have this toy, can I buy it too? And then you feel small as a husband because you can't, or a father because you can't give the things to your kids that you so long to give. And often what you don't realize is the only time I can go on vacation is when another pastor invites me to preach at his place. And that, that offering that they give me becomes my vacation money. And so last year, I didn't get offered to go on very many places, maybe one or two places. So in March of last year, I got invited to, to a free vacation for a year, for a week, excuse me, not a year. Imagine that. <laughs> See you in 2025. (laughs) And it's actually with a a really well-known pastor, John Tyson. And we were there with 25 other pastors. He'd pour into us in the morning and in the evening. And then during the day, we did crazy white people stuff. Shoot guns, smoke cigars. It was awesome. It was awesome. I even have a picture of it. We we did country line dancing. I've never country line danced before. It It was fun. I don't say I have to brag, but there was a moment during the day. That God literally took me back to when I was 30 years old. And he took me to the exact cubicle. I could see myself in the cubicle. And I prayed, God, I can't wait one day to be a pastor. To sur- Even if I just clean toilets for you, God. I just want to be in the house. I just want to be building the house of God. And he reminded me of that prayer. And the reason why I was complaining about the manna. I was saying, man, I, I wish I could go back and build bricks. Man, I, I wish I could have what I used to have. And I was complaining about the very thing God gave me, and He answered my prayer. And now, now I'm complaining about it. Israel was in slavery for 400 years, and they asked God, "Set us free!" And God did. And then when they got it, they didn't take advantage of it. They forgot. I wrote it like this. I wonder how many times we complain today for what you prayed for yesterday. You know why we do this? Because we forget. And that's the why of praying at all times. God reminds you of the very things you forgot to. That he did in your life. He he instituted communion to remember. He instituted monuments so that you would remember. And that's what praying at all times does. God has done amazing things in your life. You may not have the house you want. You may not have the car, but you got feet. You don't even need to go back four years. Go back four hours. All of you woke up this morning breathing. You ought to be thankful. You drove to car. I walked past alley. You have two legs, bro. There's not, no one in here with a wheelchair. You should be thankful, and often we are ungrateful for the things that God gives us, and that's what prayer does. It grounds us in the goodness of God, because he is a good father, and he never lets his children go hungry. There was a song that went super famous. Some of you are older. You don't even know what social media is. We love you. You won't understand this example. But some of you Gen Zers, you're on TikTok, and this song blew up on TikTok about nine months ago. I'm going to sing it. If you know it, sing along with me, because I'm going to kill some ears right now. Lord, I give thank you for sunshine. I thank you for rain. I thank you for joy. Thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day. The only way, listen, the only way that you can turn pain into praise is prayer. Some of you have forgotten how good God has been to you. You need to thank him not just for the blessings, but even for the pain. Even for the pain. That's what praying at all times does. Another reason why I should pray at all times is because we fade. See, if, if I can explain passion like a fire, passion is, is like, a, like fire. Some of you are passionate about working out. Some of you are passionate about Pokemon. Some of you are passionate about, I don't know, your awful sports team that they're all going to lose to the Niners this year. Just trying to break your heart early. And, and, and if I can explain the passion of God like a fire, oh, the devil is a liar. There you go. Fire's awesome. And often when people get saved, they go, Oh my gosh, I'm on fire. fire for God. But fire's fickle. Fire goes out real fast. And often when you're most passionate, if you get around the wrong people, their words will put out your fire. You ever been excited about something and then you hang out with the wrong friends and they extinguish your passion? I can't, I'm getting baptized this weekend. Oh, let's see how long that lasts. It's like, Whoa, bro. Why you put it on me? Your church hurt. I got a boyfriend. Oh, another one? And if you don't guard your passion, the wrong people will extinguish it. That's why you got to guard your passion, you got to guard your fire. But there's another kind of fire. Yeah, uh oh. There's another reason why it goes out. I'm full of illustrations today. You may guard it. Oh. There you go. You're on fire for God. Then the worries of this world put it out. You love Jesus, but you really want a house. You love Jesus, but you have to have that car. And the very thing that God's trying to build in you, develop in you, the worries of this world will, will drown it out. But it's not just that your flame, your passion for God gets blown out or drowned out. There's a third way. I need this. Come on, let's go. This catches fire, somebody help. Okay, let's go, come on. Okay, there you go. It's going, on. I love Jesus. It's supposed to do that, by the way. It went out. And often when the flame for God goes out, we blame the flame. Well, if God was real, I have passion for God. If people at the church were nice, I would still love God. If Pastor Ali taught good, I'd I, I love God more. Bro, I preach some bangers. Get over yourself. Come on. <laughs> and you blame the flame when the Word of God says something very different. Watch this, what it says in Leviticus chapter, Matthew chapter, no, no, next one. Leviticus chapter 6, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. Someone say burning. Burn. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning. Someone say burning. On the altar continuously, it must not go out. You need to understand the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes in in, in Israel. And one tribe called the Levites, they were the priests of all the nation. Did you know that if you are in Christ, you're a priest some of you came from a catholic faith only the pope no bro you are the royal priesthood you're the holy nation that means all of you are priests and what is happening physically here you need to do spiritually and often you don't realize what this is saying do you know how hard this is to do anyone ever go and do white people stuff like camping that's crazy who wants to go live like a homeless person not me three of you awesome this is my kind of church you know what you do when you go camping? There's no electricity out there in the middle of nowhere. You have to go build a fire. Have you ever built a fire? It's hard work. I tried lighting a match under a, a log. Bro, it did not turn on. The <laughs> cartoons are all lying to me. You have to build a small fire and then put the wood on top of that fire. It takes time. And then you think, I said it and forget it. Nuh-uh. You got to keep adding fuel. You can't leave. You can't forget it. And the moment you let go of the fuel, the flame goes out. You know what people say most often? Pastor Allen, I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out. And they blame the church. They blame everybody else. Let's go, Lord. Come on. It's good for you to see this illustration one more time. And they blame everybody else. But you know what prayer is? Prayer is adding more fuel. I can't be your fuel. God is not your fuel. You know who is though? Prayer. Every time you pray, you're adding logs God's the flame in your prayer life. So when people say, I'm burnt out, no, no, no. You know what what you're saying to me? You stop praying. You didn't burn out. You ran out. What you're really saying is, I stopped praying with God. You can blame the serving. You blame the church. You can blame people in the church. But it's a revelation of your relationship with God. Because if you keep praying, prayer is the fuel that keeps the flame going. And before I burn this building down, let me turn these off. (laughs) Just in case. That's why in Romans chapter 12 it says this never, never, someone say never, let the fire in your heart go out, keep it alive. Serve the Lord. Notice how God puts fire and serving in the same sentence. You want to say, it's because I serve the fire. without? He says, no, 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 no. The hotter the flame, the more you serve. It's your prayer life that keeps the fire going. The serving didn't put it out. Your lack of spending time with God did. That's why 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 says, I remind you to fan. Someone say fan. It takes work to add fuel. It takes work to start the fire the gift of God that is in you. Are you ready to how to pray at all times? Now this is going to be challenging for some of you and it's going to be very easy for some of you but it's going to bless everyone. How do I pray at all times? I'm one. Instead of praying to yourself, talk to God. Let's just be honest for a moment. All of you are crazy. There's just some of you who are willing to, you talk to yourself all the time. That's how I know you can talk to God. Just turn your prayer that you, that's inward up to God. You ladies, when you're in the morning, spending an hour and a half doing whatever, nobody knows. The door's closed. You're doing your hair, painting makeup on. Fellas, get the fade. You're trimming your beard. And often we look in the mirror for hours. Oh, my gosh, I look so good. Mmm. Mmm. Turn your pride into praise. God, you made, you did good. You did real good, Lord. My wife is blessed. <laughs> wow, how lucky is she? You already talked to yourself. Just turn that into pr- praise, into prayer. Anyone ever go to the gym and you're about to do a personal record, even on the bench, or maybe you're running a mile and a half, you wanna break seven minutes? You're like, God, I, I wonder if I can do this. I hope I don't get injured. You're talking to yourself. Turn to God. God, give me the strength to do this or the wisdom to, to back up because I'm good looking, but I'm prideful. Lord, help me. You ever watch a funny movie? And you're laughing. Like, oh, my gosh, that's so good. Just turn to God. God, that's so funny. You made him funny. Did you find that funny, God? No, I'll change the channel. You ever been in a situation where you're about to take a big step for God? about to launch your business, or you're about to ask your job boss for a promotion, about to ask a girl out, you haven't been on a date in a long time, and you're scared, and you're insecure, and you're feeling all kinds of things, turn your panic into petition. The number one answer why I hear from people, I don't want to pray. Pastor, I don't feel like praying. I wrote like this, when you don't feel like praying, it's because you haven't prayed what you feel. You, you you're feeling something. Just turn your feelings into prayer. Yeah. You talk to yourself already. Talk to God. I read like this Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It says, praying in the spirit at all times. Someone say, at all times. In two weeks, I'm going to teach you how to pray in the spirit. Because you can pray in English with your mind, but there's another prayer language that God wants to give you. Where you pray, you don't even understand what you're saying. That's not what I'm talking about right now. It's the second half of this verse that I want to highlight to you. It says, it's the part that's underlined. To do this, you must always be ready. For the first 10 years of my walk with God, I thought prayer was primarily me talking to God. And then I realized, as I began to walk with him and commune with him and have deeper and more relationship with him, that prayer is a conversation. That sometimes I talk and sometimes he talks. He talks. And even when I can't pray at all times, listen, you know what I can do at all times? Listen. That's what it's telling me to do. It's telling me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be ready, because he wants to pray. He wants to speak. The question is, are you ready? I wrote it like this. Instead of pr- speaking at all times, be ready to listen at all times, because that's still prayer. There are two things that I've been praying a lot in the last year, once for myself and once for you. In the six years of our church being, we've seen 400 people receive Christ. It's un- incredible. Incredible. And in the last year alone, we saw 100 people. But it, the challenge that God's been challenging me is Pastor Allie, or he calls me Allie, he goes, Is this pulpit a calling or is it a career? Because if it's a career, then I only preach, I only evangelize when I'm here. But if it's a calling, I'm going to do it at Starbucks, I'm going to do it at the gym, I'm going to do it at, 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 at the post office. It doesn't matter where I go, I'm going to preach because that's who I am. And I, I, I want to see a day where I get as many people saved here as outside of here. Amen? That's a prayer. So I'm sensitive. Every time, every time I meet someone, every time I'm interacting with someone, Holy Spirit, tell them? they make it uncomfortable. Tell me what to say. I remember I was driving, or the Uber driver was driving. And it always gets uncomfortable when the Uber driver goes, what do you do for a living? I'm like, okay, Lord. Either the conversation's going to die real quick, zero to 100 to zero real quick. It's the opposite. Or he's going to want to know more. It's going to be a therapy session. And he goes, what do you do? I'm, like, oh, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, I used to go to church. And the conversation could have died but the Holy Spirit was like, ask him. I said, well, what happened? Because my parents used to go, but they were awful to me. And so many people, they reject God, not because God's awful, but because the people representing him are. I said, man, can I just tell you my story? The Bible doesn't tell me to be an evangelist or a defense attorney. He tells me to be a witness. Can I just tell you what he did in my life? I was in I was in the darkest places. I wasn't even at church, and God was pursuing me. I was having dreams about God even long before I even read the Bible. Why? Because God was coming to me not when I was good, but even in my sin. Because if God's a judge, then when you're in your sin, he goes, you get what you deserve. Or if God's a father, if he loves us, then he comes after us. Because he sees what's killing us. I began to share with this man that God was my heavenly father, something he had never heard before. That he came for me when I was in alcohol, when I was in porn, in the darkest seasons of my life. That's Not when I was at church. In the darkest seasons of my life, when I was making bricks, God set me free. I said, that guy wants a relationship with you. It has nothing to do with your father. Did he accept Christ? I don't know. But I I was praying, Lord, I want to hear your voice. And when you speak, I'll speak. When you say share, I'll share. But the second thing I'm praying, not just for me in this pulpit, is that many of you you in this room, the thing my wife and I are praying, we really don't care if we grow anymore. We don't want to build a big church. We want to build big people. And you need to learn how to hear his voice. So this ain't going to be theoretical. I'm going to put it to practice. we got a person to stand real quick. Our God is a speaking God. Our God inhabits the praises of his people. You may not realize it, but God's in the room. He's been speaking to you this whole time I've been speaking. There are two voices every time a Sunday service is happening, the voice of the preacher and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And his, he's been speaking to you, reminding you of things, telling you who you are, Telling you how much he wants to speak with you. Reminding you, man, I would love to come to your work. I would love to help in your parenting. I I would love to, to invite me to this area of your life. There's nothing wrong with praying when you're in need. But will you pray even when the need is gone? There's nothing wrong with praying at church. But what do you do on Monday morning when God wants to be there in your marriage? There's nothing wrong with scheduling it. But you don't just talk to your wife on date night. You talk to them all the time. I want you to do something real quick. Everyone's hands out and put your hands down and just begin to pour out your emotions. Everybody feels something. God, I'm overwhelmed. God, I have anxiety about work. God, I'm anxious about my finances. God, I'm worried about my marriage. God, my, my children scare me. Just begin to pour out your emotions to him. Everybody feel something. Turn your feelings into prayers. Just begin to speak. Now, turn your hands up and be silent before God for a moment. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I'm God. Let him speak. Let him speak. Or with a question like this, what is he telling you right now? God, we believe you're a person not merely to be studied, but to be experienced. God, there are people in this room that are hurting, that are lonely. And more than my words, God, they need to hear your words of encouragement, of support. God, there's one mediator between God and man, and it's not me and my wife. It's you, Jesus. Jesus, would you speak to your children? Would you speak to us? We don't want to just know you in theory. We want to know you in practice. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. If you're overwhelmed with life, if you're anxious, if you're depressed, if you have insecurities, if you have fears, I just want you to raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Can I pray for the church. Those, Lord, that are overwhelmed, would you speak to them? Would you teach us, God, that we don't got to do this on Sundays. We can do this at home, Monday through Saturday. That we can pray to you at all times, because we have feelings at all times. God, teach us, Lord, to be thankful, because we sometimes forget what you've done. God, use our pouring out of our heart and prayer as the fuel to build our passion for you. And there are others of you in this room. You put your hand down, that you've never received Jesus your Lord and Savior, and today is the day of your salvation. And when Jesus came, he came to tear that curtain from top to bottom, because you and I could not go into the holiness in the presence of God, but God came so that we can be with him, that the altar of God is no longer a building, but our heart, with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the one who died on a cross for your sins, every eye closed, every head bowed, I want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, one, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I just want to pray. Everyone pray this out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven for me. That you lived a sinless life. That you died on a cross for my sin. From my mistakes, from my shortcomings, I receive it. But I also receive, Lord, your righteousness, because righteousness, the kind that gets me to heaven, isn't something I give you, it's something you give me. I receive it, Lord, your forgiveness, your salvation, your relationship. From this day on, Lord, would you dwell in my heart? Would my heart, because of Jesus, be the altar for you? I give you my life. I repent of my sin. I turn and I follow you. Can we give it up for the hand that went up? Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, Would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.